Welcome to Our Weird World. I'm your host, John Henson. And this week, uh, just like last week, no cold open, just because uh, these two stories, pretty different. Um, Just two dudes who had some strange lives. Um, They did die a couple of weird deaths, but they were very different. Um, So that's just kind of how things go. Uh, We'll get back into some themes next week. So stick around to to get that announcement. Uh, So yeah, let's jump into it. First story today is of Bud Dwyer, and Bud was a career politician who began serving as a state representative in Pennsylvania in 1964. Uh, in 1970, he ran for a seat in the state Senate and won, and then after serving three terms, he ran for Pennsylvania treasurer in 1980 and won. Uh, in the early 1980s, during his first few years as treasurer, the state awarded a contract to Computer Technology Associates, a California-based technology firm, to determine refunds for state employees who had accidentally overpaid their FICA taxes. I know this is really dry. Just bear with me. Um, shortly after the contract was awarded, Governor Dick Thornburg uh, received an anonymous letter alleging that the winning firm had bribed the state to win the contract. After a brief investigation, Dwyer was charged with agreeing to receive $300,000 in kickbacks. Despite verbal and written testimony from two different people, as well as coded computer tape from the Computer Technology Associates office, uh, claiming that, yeah, he totally bribed them to get those kickbacks, Dwyer said he was totally innocent. Um, on December 18th, 1986, however, Dwyer was found guilty on 11 counts of conspiracy, fraud, racketeering and racketeering and perjury. Uh, he faced up to 55 years in prison and a $300,000 fine, which was basically just a reimbursement of the money he had illegally received. But again, uh, Dwyer was just going to double down. Like he was, he was adamant that he was innocent, that this was all a witch hunt, that everyone was after him. Um, but the day before his formal sentencing, Dwyer scheduled a press conference where the media expected him to formally resign from office and admit his wrongdoing. However, Dwyer got up uh, on the podium and continued to publicly profess his innocence, uh, even going so far as to petition president Ronald Reagan for a pardon. Uh, on January 22nd, 1987, Dwyer stood in front of several journalists and began reading a 21 page statement. And this is where it gets crazy. Like you can, uh, I don't recommend it, but you can go online and watch footage of this press conference. Um, Dwyer basically just started rambling about the justice system, mostly about how it was just unfair. Uh, He singled out the former governor, uh, Dick Thornburg, uh, the FBI, uh, the judge who had convicted him of the crimes, just everyone. Um, He then started talking about regretting his support for the death penalty, which kind of seemed like an odd thing to bring up there uh, in the end. Uh, But roughly 15 minutes into the speech, several media members actually just got bored and started to leave. And, Dwyer noticed it and he says, uh, those of you who are putting your cameras away, I think you ought to stay because we're not finished yet. And like, you know, it's kind of a ballsy thing for the state treasurer to say, especially as he's about to get ousted for being a corrupt politician. I mean, it's run of the mill stuff. Um, when Dwyer got to the final page of his statement, he then kind of went off script. Uh, he called up three of his staff members and handed each of them an envelope. Uh, the first envelope contained a letter to Bob Casey, who had just been sworn in as the new governor of Pennsylvania. The second envelope contained an organ donor card, 
odd, but you'll see what's going to happen if you don't know this story. Uh, The third envelope contained individual notes to his wife and two children, along with funeral arrangements. What's going to happen, you guys? Why on earth would he do that? Well, (coughs) oh, (coughs) sorry. Uh, Unbeknownst to everyone, Dwyer had been diagnosed with terminal cancer. Uh, He had brokered the $300,000 deal as a way to pay for his chemo treatments, and he knew that he was basically going to die soon. And he knew that... You know, he was probably going to die in prison now, and he may never really get to spend time with his family again. And he was just doing everything he could to go out on a high note. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. That's not <laughs> that's not true at all. Um, once he had distributed the letters, Dwyer pulled out a large manila envelope that revealed a Smith and Wesson 357 uh, revolver. At that point, everyone in the crowd got real nervous. Um, you know, just because. You go into a press conference, you don't expect to see someone pull out a gun. And uh, and Dwyer, as he's holding the gun, he says, please, please leave the room if this will affect you. And he backed against the wall and he held the gun in the air. Uh, immediately, some people ran out of the room and started calling for help. Other people in the audience tried to approach him and convince him to hand the gun over. Instead, Dwyer quickly placed the gun in his mouth and fired a single shot. And this is all recorded on video. And you can go watch it. I don't recommend it. <laughs> it's just one of those things you don't need to see. Um, in an instant, Dwyer slumped down to the floor and died immediately. Blood poured from his nostrils in the back of his head. Uh, like I said, five different cameras, five different camera angles captured the event as it happened. Um, if there was a silver lining to a guy who committed suicide on live TV, uh, it was that Dwyer's wife, Joanne, was able to collect the full survivor benefits from his death since he was technically still in office when he killed himself. Uh, the $1.28 million death benefit was the largest payment ever given out by the state at that time. And because of that, many people, including his friends and family, believe that Dwyer killed himself to preserve those benefits for his family and also help them recover their finances that had been drained by all of the legal fees that he had spent during the investigation. So, uh, you know, dirtbag killed himself like a coward. But hey, you know what? He got his wife a million bucks to kind of offset all of the <laughs> all of the crap that he had put them through. Uh, so, you know, who knows? Um Next story here is the story of Danny Casalero. Now, I mean, a lot of people may have heard of the Bud Dwyer story, but this one uh, is a lot more obscure. So Danny Casalero was a freelance journalist who dabbled in Arabian horses, amateur boxing, and creative writing. I I mean, he's just like the most interesting guy in the world. Um, He attended Providence College in Rhode Island and married a former Miss Virginia winner uh, and also had a son. Um, Castellar's biggest interest, though, was journalism, specifically uh, with regards to the Soviet dealings in Cuba. Uh, Fidel Castro, uh, he also had a huge interest in Fidel Castro's intelligence network and the Chinese communist opium smuggling ring. There's a lot of crazy stuff going on um, in the in the 80s, in the 70s and, and 80s and the 90s, I guess. Uh, in the 1990s, he became intensely fascinated with the Inslaw case, a bankruptcy lawsuit that indicted the Department of Justice for illegally installing some of Inslaw's Promise software onto their computers. Um, basically, uh, Inslaw and then the software was this just giant corporation um, that allowed... Um, 
you know, I guess, uh, corporations to just kind of spy on people um, without their knowledge. And there was a, a giant conspiracy uh, that developed out of this case that centered on a guy named Michael Riconosciuto. Riconosciuto! Jer- uh, you know, probably Jersey Italian guy. Uh, Michael Riconosciuto, uh, a computer expert described by one writer as a rogue scientist slash weapons designer slash platinum miner slash alleged crystal meth manufacturer. So... Clearly, gigantic mafia boss bad guy over here. Um, uh, Reconciuto told Enslaw's founder, Bill Hamilton, and another man that he had paid $40 million to Iranian officials in 1980 to keep the American hostages during the Iranian hostage crisis until after the election so Ronald Reagan could win. Uh, this additional conspiracy came to be known as the October Surprise, which then sent Danny Casalero down another wormhole as he was investigating all of this. All right. Um, so on, on uh, August 5th, 1991, Casalero called his friend Bill McCoy to tell him that Time Magazine had given him an assignment to do an article about, quote, the octopus, uh, which was a combination of the Enslaw case, the collapse of the Bank of Credit and Commerce International, which was the seventh largest private bank in the world at the time, and the Iran-Contra, which was a political scandal involving the sale of arms to Iran. So Danny here is just knee-deep in crazy conspiracies. Uh, The next day, after another restless night's sleep, thanks to several harassing phone calls, uh, Casalero left for Martinsburg, West Virginia, to meet a source regarding the octopus story. Uh, After Casalero left, his housekeeper, Olga, received five strange phone calls, including one from a voice on the other end, promising to, quote, cut his body and throw it to the sharks. So, what's going on? All right? (laughs) Like, you have... Danny Casalero, an investigative journalist who is spending all of his time just trying to figure out, uh, you know, this giant corporation who's spying on people, but this other guy who's also paying money to uh, the Iranians to keep the American hostages to make sure that Ronald Reagan gets elected and just all this crazy stuff going on. And at noon on August 10th, uh, in the Sheridan Hotel in Martinsburg, West Virginia, which is kind of like in that little notch of West Virginia um, on Interstate 81. So it's not really part of West Virginia, if we're being honest. Um, But on August 10th at noon, uh, the housekeeper at the Sheridan Hotel in Martinsburg found Casalero naked in the bathtub of the room that he was renting. There were several cuts on both of his wrists and blood was splattered all over the walls. Uh, other than the bathroom, though, everything else in the room was completely clean. Um, investigators quickly came in and they found a page from a notepad uh, with a message written on it. And the message read, to those who I love the most, please forgive me for the worst possible thing I could have done. Most of all, I'm sorry to my son. I know deep down inside that God will let me in. At that point, uh, police just kind of thought it was a suicide and closed the case. But look, guys, guys, you know, uh, anyone who is super into conspiracies, like those people don't just kill themselves. All right. Um, immediately rumors began circulating that Casalero had gotten in way over his head. Um, it started when Casalero's family argued that he had an irrational fear of blood tests and just a general squeamishness toward anything bloody, which made his suicide by wrist cutting extremely strange. 
Uh, people also began speculating that the mafia had been hired to kill Casalero after he had uncovered something that would have blown one or possibly all of the conspiracies he was looking into wide open. Even stranger, at the end of Casalero's funeral, a highly decorated army officer arrived in a limousine, walked over to the casket, laid a medal on it, and saluted. No one had any idea who it was. No one was able to even speak to him before he drove off as quickly as he appeared. Super weird. Um, police re-examined the room and additional autopsies were performed on Casalero's body. Uh, however, no one found anything else that could explain his death other than suicide. Later investigations asserted that the FBI had lied to Congress about the death and that they had actually questioned whether or not it was a suicide. Um, even more, some people claim that the FBI is purposely withholding documents relating to Casalero's death, while the FBI argues that the files in question are missing. That's really suspicious. Uh, to this day, no one knows what happened. Really, what truly happened to Danny Casalero. Uh, maybe he realized he had dug himself into an embarrassing wormhole that ultimately revealed nothing, leaving it, leading him to commit suicide out of shame. Or maybe, obviously, you guys, uh, several people realized that he had actually figured it all out and killed him to prevent the truth from really getting out. And that may actually be what happened. Uh, seems odd, though, that police would not be able, at least, I mean, you know, technology is not what it is now, but at least in the early 90s, it was still pretty close. And to not have any sign of like forced entry, no struggle, nothing. It's just this random dude who had no signs of mental illness. There was no sign he was really depressed or anything. He's just it's intensely fascinated in these uh, conspiracies. And then, you know, on top of that, he is super squeamish. He has like, you know, a fear of needles and blood tests and stuff like that. And then for, so for him to get fully naked and cut his wrists and bleed out and die in the bathtub is extremely strange. And, you know, maybe here's, here's the wild card. All right. Maybe, Maybe, you know, because he was getting all of these harassing phone calls, um, you know, the night before he left. And then he kept getting phone calls at his house after he had left. So somebody was on to him, potentially. Maybe they had beat him to the hotel and had figured out a way to get into his room. And then they were just sitting there waiting for him. And then as soon as he got in, they pounced on him and killed him you know, made it look like a suicide and then they got out and, you know, it's a mafia. So it's a professional hitman. He can get in, get out without leaving a trace, probably what it was and just left him there and made it look like a suicide. So what did Danny Casalero really know? What did he found out? I, I don't know. All right. Honestly, look, if we're being honest here, the whole ends law case and the promise software and the uh, Iran-Contra and the collapse of the Bank of Credit and Commerce International, all that kind of stuff is not the most intriguing conspiracy, all right? Like, if we're going to talk conspiracies, let's go back to last week, all right, when I went off about aliens and the Illuminati and all that. That's a conspiracy, all right? Um, the Inslaw stuff and the Iran-Contra and all that kind of stuff, like, that's just political corruption, 
um, if anything. Like, that's it. And, you know, if there were, you know, if the mafia or whoever was involved, sure, it probably involved tens of millions of dollars that would have had people sent to prison for life. But it wasn't like earth shattering, like consequential stuff. So, but either way, he died from it. And uh, yeah, that's the end. So there you go. Um, hope those were interesting. I know they had they were a little dry in, in spots. And, you know, sometimes that happens. But the payoff was pretty sweet. I, I mean, I guess maybe not for the, not for those families, but, um, you know, it satisfies, I think everyone's lust for horror gore porn or whatever it is. I don't know. Uh, let's see what we learned today. What did we learn? Number one, Bud Dwyer killed himself on live TV. And you can go find it and you can watch it for yourself. Again, though, I don't recommend it. I mean, unless you really want to see a real person really shoot themselves and really die in front of your eyes. I just, I don't know why you would want to see that. Uh, Number two, uh, Danny Casalero was an investigative journalist who may have been on the verge of breaking a giant conspiracy wide open. Uh, but then he killed himself instead, or did he? Uh, and number three, uh, there's look, I mean, come on, you, if you want to waste your time on some, you know, saltine bland conspiracy, like the ends law case, go right ahead. All right. That's nothing more than political corruption. All right. If you want to get serious, if you want to get real, All right, let's talk about the moon bases that the reptilians have built that uh, house these giant reactors beneath the surface of the moon that emit these uh, psychoactive waves that keep humanity in check. All right, and whenever the planets align, that's when you get uh, the the reactors um, have extra power because it's it's using the energy from the other planets that are in line with the moon and the earth to really concentrate those waves and generally uh keeps uh things in check all right you're gonna have periods of unrest here and there but in general all right it's the waves from the moon base that the lizard illuminati is maintaining that's keeping humanity from devolving into another world war. Get on my level. Next week on Our Weird World, we are going to Florida. Oh, it's going to be a good episode. Got a, got a bunch of weirdos. I mean, Florida, come on. Of course, it's going to be a weird episode. It's going to be uh, uh, several stories from everyone's favorite train wreck of a state. Uh, We are going to be looking at L.V. Calloway, Carl Robert Brown, 
uh, the Conk Republic and Danny Rowling. Uh, four good stories. It'll be a big episode next week, and it's going to be a lot of fun. So stay tuned for that. Come back next week. Thank you for listening. Tell all your friends, and keep it weird. Yeah.